Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. How are you feeling, doll? You're upright. That's a good sign. I have a mum hack. (laughs) It is... Don't go to Splendour. (laughs) Do not go to a festival if you are a mother or a father and you are over the age of 30. It's just not worth it. It's not (laughs) worth it. We had this discussion in our newsletter last week, which was, is it worth letting your hair down? Like, is the next week, the next week, well, I was going to say next day, but really once you become a parent, it is the next week that it takes to recover. So you've changed your tune, not worth it. Look, I just don't think a festival is worth it. I mean, Splendour, for those who don't know, I went to Splendour in the mud and it was almost like we had, it was nuts. Like it was like wearing ankle weights for, we. I think we looked at our phones, we walked 17 kilometres with pretty much ankle weights because the mud, every time yeah. you would pick up your foot, you were literally like my ass hurts my hips hurt, my knees hurt. Think of the workout though. I know. I feel great. Like I'm stoked that I had a workout, but like it's just you wake up the next day and it's a lot. My body is sore. I feel old <laughs> and it's really sad. So I feel like a night out with the girls or a night out somewhere is a completely different scenario and I think that's great. And do you know the best thing about going out nowadays, and I'm so jealous of the young things of today's day and age, is like sneakers are cool to wear out. No, thank God. Like when we went out, back in our day, <laughs> it was thongs or heels. Thongs? Yeah, I used to wear thongs. You wouldn't get let into an establishment in thongs. And she doesn't mean a thong. Sorry, like doll. Not, not I, a I don't think I went to establishments. So I don't know where you went, but I was literally just going to pubs and you were allowed pluggers. <laughs> you could have a beer in pluggers and you were fine. Well, I used to hit dance floors for hours in just shoes that were certified weapons. And you just... <laughs> Oh, what I'd give to go back in time and for sneakers to be cool or not even be cool. What I'd give to go back in time and say, I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's where I'm going to wear sneakers. And that's where you get like you get to a point in your life where you just don't care really anymore because it's it's about comfort. Yeah. How's your week been otherwise? Really good. Really, really good. I can't really remember because I'm so tired and I <laughs> <laughs> just feel like I'm like I need to have a nap. <laughs> But I'm really proud because I've had heaps of water and I am I can tell that my voice is like a few octaves lower than normal. Yeah. But yeah. I'm doing pretty, pretty well. I don't have a headache. The girls are off to school. We got them to daycare and school, so they're fine. And then last week we... Yeah, can't remember. How was your week? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember much either. Goldie got sick again. Like, what's oh, new? Oh, man. Like, you know, I'm just like... Done with it. Oh, I'm going to Fiji in August and yes, I, I'm so excited but I'm also so nervous. Like do we send the kids to daycare the week before we go? Like mm. what if they get COVID and then we get swabbed and then our trip gets cancelled? Look, I know a lot worse things have happened because of COVID. I'm not trying to say woe is me. No. But like I have been looking forward to this holiday. <laughs> For so long, we bought Nick and Goldie both express passports so that we could get there. Imagine if we get to the airport and, like, our rat's positive or something. So my friend, she was going to Fiji, same thing, really looking forward to it, and she got COVID the day before going, had to cancel it, postponed it for three weeks' time, and then they went. 
I reckon. Oh, okay, maybe we could do a postpone. But I don't even know if we get our money back from the island we're going to. I heard of a story of one guy yeah. who went over. I think you have to do another rat like when you get yeah. there. Did a rat. It was positive. <gasps> so couldn't go out to the island he was going to and had to pay to isolate no. in a hotel room in Nadi, like near the airport. So you're like paying all <laughs> this money to sit in a hotel room, probably got epic views of everyone else sunning themselves on the, the, by the pool or on the beach. That is pain. But, hey, I've got a rude or fabulous for you to nut out this week. Oh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I'm really excited for this. I can't oh, even believe it. what's the you're thinking of? The girl and her story. The long one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Is everyone ready? Yeah, they're ready. I was hoping you hadn't read it, actually. Hi, beautiful ladies. Thanks for the awesome work you do on your podcast. Of course I read it. <laughs> and we're done. Yeah. That's all she That's said. It. Fabulous, not rude. No. I have a rude or fabulous for you. A friend has been quite into cooking recently and sends me photos of their culinary creations, expensive food complete with fancy homemade cocktails at lunchtime. I'm a single mother to a six-month-old, so I kind of felt thanks, I guess. Anyway, first alarm bell was when they sent exactly the same photo twice, several days apart, commenting about their lunch that day. A few days later, absolute fire siren started ringing when they sent a photo of their dinner creation that really stood out, different table, different crockery, different lighting, etc. The clincher was that it had fresh peaches, which are most definitely out of season where I live. I ran the photo through Google Images and sure enough, the photo popped up from a food blog. I debated just ignoring it, but because this was the second slip up, I went with it. I replied, yum, it's impossible to find fresh peaches at the moment. Where on earth did you get them from? Thinking it would be a soft way to lead them into fessing up. But no, they replied their friend had grown the peaches in a greenhouse. So I took it one step further and said, Amazing photography, you should totally start writing a food blog. To which they replied, thanks, I've been working on my food photography. I stewed for a couple of hours and then finally decided to call them out. I sent them the link to the food blog with the original photo and said, weird, I just did a Google search for grilled peach salad and your photo popped up. They brushed it off with a simple, ha ha, you got me. Mine didn't look nearly as good. So I used that photo. I haven't replied since. Rude or fabulous of me to have called them out. And is it overreacting of me to ghost them, effectively ending our 10 year friendship? Go. Fabulous that you outed them and you did it in such a nice way too. Like I You think, gave them the chance. Oh, you to- gave them so many chances. I would be humiliated if I was them. But also, what is the reason behind this, do you yeah. think? What is it? That's what I said back to this person. I said, as much as it sounds silly, ending a friendship over a few photos stolen from a blog, but the thing that gets me is what is the motivation? Totally. Like if this person knows you're a single mother to a six-month-old, it sounds like, you know, someone who can't afford to whip up fancy lunches and, and have cocktails at lunches. It. Yeah, what is the reason, what is the motivation that they're sending you these and I like to give people the benefit of the doubt but I cannot come up with one nice positive kind caring reason that this person could be sending this message and I said to her I said is this out of character for this person like I feel like sometimes when people have some odd traits you kind of let them get away with things because you go oh you know we've been friends for 10 years I've been putting up with that kind of shit for 10 years and there's a lot of other qualities that's just what Stephanie's like she said yeah she's known for like exaggerating a story a little bit just to make the story you know puts a little bit of 10% mayo on her yeah but she's going out but of her way but she said not like this this yes she's going out of her way to do things that she hasn't asked her to send and then she's lying about it and I don't know it. if it's petty but I would find it very hard to come back from this I don't think I would ghost them I think I would say like hey I find it quite bizarre that you've done this. Like, can you let me know the reasons why you sent this to me? Because I think I would need to know what the motivation was. After 10 years, I would definitely say 
hey, I just want to make sure everything is okay with you because I find it quite <laughs> odd that you've been sending me fake recipes and to be honest, it's almost like you're trying to make me feel bad Yeah, that I'm not cooking lavish meals, but, like, neither are you. <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah. Googling Spoiler them alert. <laughs> and sending them to me. Hey, next thing. Yeah. We've got exciting news this week oh that we're not going to tell you now, but we've got a bonus episode this Thursday and we've got exciting news that we've been keeping from you guys. I just got goosebumps. It is so exciting and we cannot wait. We have been keeping this one under our belts, but you guys are going to freaking love it. I hope. <laughs> yeah. We hope. We really hope. <laughs> now let's get into today's episode. Yeah. All right. So we have Harriet Hiscock on the potty and she is a professor, a paediatrician and a sleep expert and this conversation is roughly for children of about three years to eight years of age. She talks about more so their parents (laughs) more so us but it also talks about like the reasons as to why they have some sleeping issues, what are medical reasons behind it, what are more behavioral reasons behind it. Yeah so we love this chat we feel like there's so much information out there about baby sleep but really toddler sleep and children's sleep can be just as much of a mind F. So we hope you enjoy it too. Enjoy. Hello, Harriet. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Before we get started, can you tell our beautiful listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do and what we're going to be chatting about today? Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. So I'm Harriet Hiscock. I'm a pediatrician based at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne. And I have been doing for quite a bit of my research life work in sleep in kids. So sleep in babies, sleep in primary school age kids and kids with autism and ADHD. And so I still work clinically. I do my research and I'm a mum now of two quite grown up young people, some of whom had sleep problems when they were growing up. So I was going to say, please tell me now, do they sleep? Do they sleep (laughs) sleep now now. though? Can you wake them up? (laughs) They're young adults now. So (laughs) it's up to them now. Well, I must say any time we touch or go near sleep in an episode, the listens go, it is something that everyone wants to know about. We're going to kind of focus more, I believe, on child sleep, like kind of three to eight-ish years old today. We have chatted about baby sleep before, but we're going to lead more on to, I feel like when you have a baby, everyone goes, oh, you know, like newborns, they don't sleep, da-da-da-da. You might do sleep training, suddenly they're sleeping and you don't realise then they become a freaking toddler and just as many (laughs) sleep issues start all over again. I feel like I'm getting woken up now more with a a two-and-a-half and a a four-year-a-half-year-old than I was with a bloody newborn. No, you just can't remember. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's also a time when they just start to test the boundaries and they test our autonomy as parents, which is normal. It's a really important developmental step. But that means as parents, we might actually have to step in mm. and set a few limits and routines and things, which actually then makes a, um, a toddler feel safe and secure and connected. And that often leads to better sleep if you can set things up from the get-go. So let's get stuck in. What are some common issues that may affect a child's sleep? Well, the really common things are children who have find it hard to go to sleep at the start of the night. And that can be a range of reasons. One is they can be testing the limits as we talked about. So they come in and out of the bedroom several times saying, I want to go to the toilet. I want to drink. I want to tell you something. I need another hug. I want another book. And that's what we call curtain calls. Other Hang on, let me just write this down. Yeah. <laughs> calls happening at home. Yep. Calls. Times by 50. <laughs> really common, really common. The other thing is that they're not doing that, but they lie in bed and they're just worrying about things. So mm. these are our little warriors who tend to be like that. It's in their temperament. They worry about things during the day as well as at nighttime. And so they they need different solutions with that. And then there are kids who just seem to get that second wind around about five, six o'clock and they wind up rather than wind down. Mm. And sometimes that's when one of the parents comes home from work or, you know, other things are happening in the household as well. So that's getting to sleep. And then often waking up overnight's normal. We all do it. But there are kids, if they haven't learned to fall asleep at the start of the night, they can't do it when they naturally wake overnight. Right. So if they wanted mum or dad there at the start of the night, they then want mum or dad there overnight as well. Which is quite similar in the sense that when you are sleep training a baby, 
they usually tend to wake up and go, well, hang on, where's mum if exactly. she was just, if I was just lying on her, where is she now? Exactly. And it's spot on. But toddlers will tell you now and they'll come out of their bed and come and say hello and tell you all about it. My last baby, I've got three, was a really good sleeper in her cot. Then she became a toddler, climbed out of the cot and now she's three and a half and she sleeps in my bed. I didn't have a problem with it because it was quite nice at the start, but now I am I'm getting kicked in the face. I have, I'm literally in a king size bed on the corner. She's got legs coming at me. I've got a sore back every morning and it's time now where I'm like, I've, I've genuinely had enough. But when I've said to her, you've got a beautiful bed. Can you sleep in the same room as your sister? She's like, absolutely not. So how and why and where? Where to? Yeah. I just don't know where to go from here. Yeah. So a few things you can do. One is you can actually say, this can't happen anymore because mummy's getting a really sore back. That's making me grumpy and tired in the morning and I don't want to be like that. And a three, three and a half year old will understand that. And then give her two options. One is you can put a mattress on the floor next to your bed and she can choose to come in and lie down on that in the middle of the night when she wakes up. It's a genius idea. Yep. Or you can say she has to go back into her bedroom, but you need to build in a reward in the morning that she cares about. So that might be a stamp or a sticker. And after a while, the novelty of stamps and stickers wear off. So we say four stamps or four stickers in a row equals a lucky dip. Oh. And that then can sometimes incentivize the toddler to go, hmm, okay, I might actually do this. But you're quite right. If she says, no, I don't want to do it, you can't force them and it won't happen. So you've got to get her buy-in. A little bit of incentives. To want to go back to sleeping in her bed. So incentives or the mattress on the floor and say, but also give the rationale because I, I remember, you know, this is not sleep, but years ago I would be holding my youngest one and then my toddler wanted to be picked up and I said, I can't because that's going to give me a bad back and a sore back and I will be very grumpy. Yeah. And he, he accepted that sort of definition. So I think if you say to your toddler, if this keeps going, I'm going to be grumpy, I'm going to be angry with you in the day, I don't want to be like this, you've got a choice of the mattress on the floor or back in your room. And if you can go into your room or if you come into the mattress on the floor without waking me up, you get the stamp or sticker in the morning. After four stickers, you get the lucky dip. Yeah, that's great. And I think that we forget that our toddlers are actually quite smart. Like I get a bit like rattled that I'm about to have a really hard conversation with someone that's not going to listen. And although that is actually true you forget that she will take in what you're saying. They are much smarter than we often give them credit for. And if, if you're thinking, oh, it's a bit abstract, I often get two little dolls and I just act it out. Oh. So here you are lying down at the southern night. I'm sitting here next to you. I then go to my bed and lie down. And then when you wake up in the middle of the night, you come here, but you can lie on the mattress on the floor and then you'll get your sticker. If you try and get into bed, mm, no sticker, no stamp. That's so interesting because I've tried to do the sticker chart thing before, yes. but I did it for a week and I think that was too long. Like every day she was like, I think she just got bored of it because she's like, oh, well, this seven days is taking way too long. I know we touched on it ages ago, but about setting the boundaries and the curtain call, how do they know the things that you can't say no to? Like if my child comes up to me and she's like, <laughs> I need to wee and I'm like, you need to go back to bed. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm the one that's going to be dealing with the wet sheets later. Or if they're like, I'm so thirsty. Like you can't tell a child you can't drink water. Like how do you work around that without feeling like you're like, okay, I'm literally not giving my toddler water. So one of our books covers exactly this. And this is the old bedtime pass puncher. So we have this technique that we've tested in our trials called the bedtime pass. So you make a little pass out with your toddler or primary school kid decorate it, whatever, and they're allowed one pass out at the start of the night. So they can come out of their bedroom for one reason and they choose it, whether that's to go to the toilet, to have a drink, and then they hand over the pass to you and then that's it for the rest of the night. And then if they can do that, they get their sticker or stamp in the morning and the same thing after four stickers, they get a lucky dip. And if you stick to it, after a few nights, I realize mum means business. Yeah. And I will just choose that one reason. A hundred percent. And also, like, I feel like if we, before we, and it's so hard to do, because when you're at six or seven o'clock and you're so tired, the last thing you want to do is go, 
come on, I'll come with you to brush your teeth. I'll come with you to the toilet. I'll do this. I'll do that. But if we tick all those boxes, then as a parent, your your conscience is like, okay, I know you've had enough water. I know that you've done a wee. Mm. So if they do come out with that pass, I think it's nice to go, oh, you know what? hundred percent. That's it. I think I'm such a softie with it because I was <laughs> such an overthinker when it came to bedtime. I was really scared of the dark. I had this weird thing. I think I've said this on the podcast before. When I was younger, I didn't understand how anyone could tell the difference between being asleep and being dead. So I was like, if I'm asleep, what if someone thinks I'm dead and I get buried? And then I wake up in the morning and like, you know, I was just like no one could tell the difference because they're like the same thing. So I'd be scared of going to sleep. And I would also so, have a fear of death as yeah, well. Yeah, so I, um, wow, we're such great host. No, but is this a common? <laughs> but, but is this I think common? that's why I get really like, like if, if Poppy's ever like, oh, I have something I need to say to you at night, like I just find it so hard. And then it's nothing. But you've got to be careful not to project your experience onto her. And that's Mm. what we do as parents all the time. And we've actually got to stop and say, just because I thought this is a kid Mm. doesn't automatically mean my kid's thinking this. And you can even test that with her, but you don't want to put ideas in her head probably. (laughs) No, most of the time I think it's something like that. And then she'll be like, oh, there's probably tigers outside my window. And I was like, oh, okay, not quite what I thought you were saying. Exactly. (laughs) And they can read the the other bedtime book we have is about bedtime time fears and that's the marshmallow puffins at the window oh wow okay that, that you can read as well and and you know bedtime fears is, it's just an example of a really good vivid imagination but as parents we need to put boundaries around that and that makes kids feel safe and secure rather than reinforcing those fears what's the science behind these books yeah, 20 years of our trials that we've run, our research trials with thousands of Australian parents. And it really looks at the fact that going to sleep is a learnt skill. So it's not something that happens necessarily naturally, that we can teach our kids how to do that. We can set up good routines that everyone knows about, etc. that it's normal to wake overnight. But the way we go back to sleep overnight is the way that we have learnt to go back to sleep, you know, or start off the night and go to sleep. So it really takes sort of tried and tested strategies of what's worked for Australian families to be able to do this as well. So each book is a separate strategy that you can, you know, pick and choose what you think might work for you as a family and for your child. So generally it really is a skill like any other as a child that it's been learnt and those who just get it naturally, they're more the exception, they're not the rule. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And and you're lucky if you've got a kid like that. You often think it's your great parenting but often (laughs) it's just them because that's, you know, we Let us have one win. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, we know that kids are born with a certain temperament and you, you would have seen it in the, you know, early mothers groups. Some babies just feed, sleep, play. They always seem pretty quiet and content. Others are screaming the house down, which was my firstborn. <laughs> and and that's not necessarily your fault at all. It's not your parenting. It's often the temperament they are mm. born with. But as as they grow, you can start to tailor your response and parenting to support them and, you know, help them do things by themselves ultimately. And is it something that does need to be like taught over and over again because I feel like in our house we'll feel like we've got sleep under control and then all of a sudden we'll find ourselves we're all in different bed and we'll go how did we even get here again (laughs) like I thought we had it down pat. The goalpost shifts on you Mm. that's really normal as well and that's because you know babies are different to toddlers who are different to primary school age kids who are different to high school kids so there's different stages of development that kids go through and different sleep problems are more common across those different stages. So, you know, for teenagers, you can't get them up in the morning. <laughs> and, um, and they might have been the five-year-old who was waking at 5.30 every morning for, you know, for months oh, on end. God. So, and now you're like, please wake up, please. Exactly. So it, it, it fits with their different developmental stages and tasks. And so when should kids be sleeping through the night or are you saying it's very normal for everyone to wake up at some point at night? Yes. So this is a common myth. Everyone wakes up overnight. So we start off from the night awake, obviously. We take at least 20, 30 minutes to get into our deep sleep. So parents will often say, oh, my child's not asleep. It's been 10 minutes. Well, we don't go to bed and fall asleep straight away, nor do they. So we take 20 or 30 minutes to get into deep sleep. 
then we stay there and then we come up into light sleep, go back into deep sleep, come up into light sleep. And we keep cycling like that throughout the night until we wake up in the morning. And when we come into that light sleep, sometimes we wake up completely, look around, check the doona's on, everything seems okay, and we go back off to sleep again. And we probably do that two or three times a night as parents, but we don't even realize it because it's so quick. But toddlers or other kids, if they wake up and go, hang on, where's mum? Where's dad? Mm. Why, you know, why isn't this happening? It was happening at the start of the night. That's when they call out or come into your room. So waking up overnight is completely normal, but we do need to teach some kids how to go back to sleep. That's when I feel Poppy searching for my head in the bed. Or you've got a really creepy little tiny person standing at the door and you can just see and you sort of open your eyes in the pitch black and you're like, is that actually a person or a ghost? You can feel the breath. Oh, it's so scary. (laughs) There's nothing scarier, especially when you've had a bit to drink at the end of the night. You wake up, you're like, oh. oh." (laughs) Now, how common is frequent night waking and why does this occur? Yeah, so look, it depends on your definitions, but it's certainly at least one in 10 Australian children will be waking up, you know, three times a night or more. So it's pretty common. And it really is mostly occurring because of those behavioral things of not knowing how to get to sleep by themselves at the start of the night. Sometimes there are kids who will have medical problems like, you know, asthma or ear infections or eczema. So if you're worried about that, Mm. you should definitely take them to see your your health professional and get that checked out before starting any sleep strategies. How do you you keep up? The stamina in the middle of the night. I mean, we're recording this right now at 10 a.m. in the morning. Yes. It's very easy at 10 a.m. to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to set these boundaries. But when your child's woken up for the fourth time, it's 2 a.m. You you know, you haven't had two hours sleep in a row all night. How do you... Do you just know, oh, I need to put this in place for just a little while and it's a long-term gain? Like, how do you keep that going? So, I recommend chunking this. So... You might say, look, I'm exhausted. I'm just going to, for the first week, just focus on the start of the night. Okay. And I'm going to focus on, can I get my toddler off to sleep, you know, by themselves, self-settling the start of the night? Because if you can get that right, often it has a flow-on effect to overnight. And then week two, if that's gone well, then you can say, now I'm going to tackle overnight Mm. if there are any problems. If you've got a partner, they have to be on board as well. There's nothing worse than things being sabotaged at 2 a.m. and you end up fighting with each other. And if you've got older kids, if they can go to a relative or a friend for a few nights makes a big difference because you're not worried about your toddler waking up Mm -hmm. the older child or or the younger child. So So it is fine if you go, okay, I'm just going to get to midnight and then if they wake up after midnight, I'll just, they can come into bed with me. And then once we've got that first half of the night sorted and I feel like I'm getting at least some stretch of sleep, then I can move on to the other half of the night. Yeah. Yeah. And the other really important thing, because the first few hours of sleep for all of us is our deepest sleep. Mm. So if you're going to do this with your toddler, don't get them off to sleep at eight and then you go to bed at midnight. Mm. You need to go to bed like at nine o'clock and get you in You're going to sleep train yourself as well. Yeah. <laughs> sleep when the baby sleeps. Sleep when the toddler exactly. sleeps. Now can we, this is like, gives me, I've got goosebumps just from even thinking about this question, teeth grinding. Yes. Is that common? Why do kids do it? And is it an issue? Uh, look, it's we don't really know how common it is because we haven't got great sort of statistics on it. But certainly kids can do it as they get a bit older into primary school and that's that can be associated with jaw pain. So they might wake up in the morning and go, oh, I've got a really sore, stiff jaw. It's worse than seeing a dentist to make sure there's not any teeth problems. But sometimes it runs in families and sometimes kids do it because they are a bit stressed or anxious about something. Mm. Not at the toddler age, it's more so at the primary school age. And can it like blunt their teeth down? Yes, it can. But that's again, go and see the dentist. Yeah. And it's sometimes for older kids, they'll put retain, you know, do a retainer for them to try and prevent that happening and minimize that. I took my daughters to the dentist recently and he actually said, he said, this one grinds her teeth. And I said, how do you know? And he goes, because look at this one has been chiseled down for the yeah. way that she's grind. And then I got in the chair and he's like, and you grind your teeth too. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Ah. Well, you don't know when you're asleep. Unless and I mean, you're knows. never stressed. No, I'm so. not stressed or anxious at all. It's so strange. Very weird. Yeah, so definitely get that checked out with the dentist and you, you know, might need a retainer. So another common one 
Is bedwetting common and why does it happen? Yes, so bedwetting is really common. And again, it really tends to run in families. But up to the age of six years of age, we consider it normal and and a developmentally appropriate thing. So that's fine, particularly if mum or dad, you know, were wearing night nappies till, you know, six, seven years of age. Why it happens, uh, we don't 100% know, but we think it's a combination of things. Kids get into really deep sleep, so they don't get the signal from their bladder to their brain saying, I need to do a wee. Also, maybe their body's not concentrating the wee as much overnight as it does when they get a bit older. So there's a special hormone that our brain produces that helps us concentrate our wee so our bladder doesn't fill up as much overnight. But from six years of age, it's um, really highly effective treatment as the pad and alarm that can be used. It takes around about six weeks and it really trains the child because what they do is they put this little pad in their bed and when it gets wet with the wee, it sets off a really loud alarm for everyone to hear in the household. And that Um, doesn't lead to like severe anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, that I would teeth grind and piss myself. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. It's effective in about 80% of kids. And what it does is it it triggers them to wake up uh, and it sets that pathway up between their bladder filling up and, and telling our brain, oh, I need to get up and do a wee. So there's some wonderful information about that on the Royal Children's Hospital Kids Health Information website. There's a podcast about it and videos as well of how to use the alarm. And it um, can make children feel really proud of themselves that they can sort of conquer that bedwetting. My eldest just took to toilet training quite early. Like she was two years old. We were in lockdown anyway. It was summer where we lived. So we're like, whatever, we're home, run around nude. And she took to it really easily. But for quite like for a couple of years or more longer, she wore a nappy at night. And it was always just like so soaked in the morning. And I feel like because we had our second when she was two and like her sleep was finally like fine and we were on to yes. the newborn. I was like, I'm not taking off your nappy at <laughs> night and, and and starting another issue. How do we know when they're kind of, because it's it can be a bit more obvious, like when they're ready during the day to toilet train. Like how do we know when they're ready to trial that at night? Yeah, great question. So toilet training during the day always comes before toilet training at night. So that's just, that's normal. It takes longer. So at nighttime, you would want to see dry nappies in the morning. Right. So maybe if you get three or four mornings in a row, the nappies aren't soaked, they're dry, then you might say, okay, now it's time to try with the nappy off. But really anywhere up to age six years, we don't see it as a problem and something that needs to be you know, have that pattern alarm solution. What about lazy children? I remember, and I don't think I've told my mum this. No, no, no. (laughs) What do we do do about them? I I was, I reckon, five and it was really cold one night and I did it a few times. I would just not want to go to the toilet. So I just pissed my bed and then I just yelled out, mum! And then she'd come in with a few towels because she couldn't be stuffed changing it all over and doing that. But I remember doing that probably two or three times because I just couldn't be bothered going to the toilet. And that is pure laziness. Or maybe I was scared of something outside my door, I'm not sure. But I mean, I'm assuming that that is just something that's just going to happen every now and then. It's not going to be this continuous laziness. Well, I guess you yeah. just explain to them like the wee is going to be colder than you getting out. Like, like I know it's warm when it comes one. out, yeah. but when you're wet lying in bed, you're going to be colder than just going to the toilet. Yeah. Unless mum keeps changing it. So if yeah. she stops changing it, then she you've just got has to pee to in the toilet. You there and you're wet. Yeah. So look, I think you're right though. Usually if that happens, it's only a few episodes of that, a few nights. It's not something that's continuous. And like, Anything we do with children, they've got to want to change. They've got to be motivated to want to do things differently. And if we don't have their buy-in, it's just not going to happen. And what are ways to start? Like I remember with my eldest, I would, you know, if I was going to bed at 10 p.m., I would just like carry her in her sleep, pop her on the toilet. She'd do a wee, take her back to bed. Are things like that necessary or? Look, some parents will swear by that. The evidence shows that that's actually not necessary, Mm -hmm. that lifting them to go to the toilet before nighttime actually doesn't necessarily make a difference. But look, if it works for you and the family, go for it. Probably more peace of mind. (laughs) Absolutely. But that's also important. That's really important. There's nothing wrong with that. How can we support a child who sleepwalks and talks? 
Yeah, so again, that tends to run in families mm. and you don't need to worry about it is the bottom line. The The thing for children who sleepwalk or particularly sleepwalking is just to make sure the house is safe because there has been children and adults who have walked out the front door mm. down the street or the back door and into the garden. So, you know, making sure that that's perhaps, you know, hard to get out the front door, et cetera, if that's a problem. But generally it's a matter of if, if you find them sleepwalking, you don't wake them up. You actually just guide them back to their bed and lay them back down in bed again. What's the reason behind it? Look, again, we don't really know. It runs in families. They're probably, you know, dreaming and acting out something quite complex in their head um, and doing that. How can some people go downstairs, do things in their... Make a sandwich. Are they awake? Like, like what's their... But how do they not just like fall down the stairs? Yeah. Well, they can. They can. But usually they're going over very familiar ground because it's territory, you know, around them and they know their house, et cetera. And kids that sleep talk because often it seems like they're very active. Are they still getting restful sleep. They are. And generally the sleep talking, sleep walking, you know, will sleep talking only lasts a few minutes and then it stops and it may happen again later that night. But really in between, they're still getting good sleep. And similarly, what about nightmares and night terrors? My daughter definitely suffers from night terrors and you feel really helpless about, you know, yeah. sometimes it can go for like 20 minutes and you're there in the middle of the night like, what can I do? You yeah. seem so distressed. So nightmares and night terrors are two different things actually and they're happening at different stages of our sleep cycle. So nightmares tend to happen after midnight. They are bad dreams and they wake up and they remember that I was having a really bad dream and you go and pick them up and they cuddle Mm. into you because they want that reassurance. Night terrors happen before midnight. They happen when we get stuck between deep sleep and light sleep. So the body is awake but the mind is not. Mm. So they might be thrashing around, they might be calling out, they might have their eyes open, they look terrified, but they're actually not awake. And if you go and pick them up, they will often push you away. Yeah, it's that. Yep. So that's a really good telltale sign that's a night terror, not a nightmare. And if you don't wake them up, they'll go back into their deep sleep and they won't remember it in the morning, whereas a nightmare they will. So night terrors, again, are really common in toddlers and primary school kids, early primary school. They are worse if they're overtired or Mm. if they get sick, you know, fevers and things. And the main thing to do is go and check, make sure they haven't got a leg stuck in the cot or Mm. anything like that, and then just try and leave them be. Because if you go in and pick them up, you will probably wake them up out of their sleep. Then they're all distressed and confused. And then you spend ages trying to settle them back in again. My daughter often, while she's doing it, is complaining that her legs are hurting. Yeah. But she won't let us anywhere near her. She's definitely like asleep thrashing around but it's quite often that her legs are hurting and I'm like is she having growing pains that are like hurting Yumi's actually done that recently she said and it took me uh, I reckon 15 minutes and I and I got Harry in and I said I I think she's having a night terror because we can't make sense. But then in the morning, I'm like, "How do your legs feel?" She's like, "Fine, yeah, weirdo, yeah, (laughs) yeah." So that's that sounds like a night terror. I mean, I also want to know: is she getting this at the start of the night when she's still awake and trying to go to sleep? Are her legs hurting? Ah, no, she goes to sleep fine, but it is in that like. 10.30-ish, you know, that annoying time yes. where you've just fallen asleep <laughs> and then they're up for 15 minutes and you're like, come on, I've been asleep for 45 minutes, Which please. is classic because they've probably had three hours of deep sleep and now they're coming up into their light sleep yeah. and they've got stuck between deep and light but sleep. But you feel so helpless just leave because they're so distressed. They're not aware. Yeah. They're not aware. I am. And if you wake <laughs> them up, you are, but they won't remember this in the morning. Yeah. So don't even cuddle them, like literally just let them be. Well, she doesn't let me near yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah, they they push you away. That's a telltale sign of a night terror as opposed to a nightmare when they will cuddle into you. Poppy has actually tried to get so far away from me that she's rolled out of bed because she's like, don't come near me. Just check they're okay, eyeball them, and then leave them be. Oh, they're funny things. They are. They are. There's another technique you can do if, if these are going on for weeks on end and lasting, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And that's something called scheduled awakening. Whereas oh, that if you sounds know awful. it happens at 10.30 every night, you go in 20 minutes before that and you just rouse them so they come out of their lights, you know, come out of that sleep cycle into their light sleep and you just rouse them a bit, light off everything in their bed and that that resets their sleep cycle and then they go off to sleep again. So that's if you've got really consistent time 
weeks of night terrors, you can do scheduled awakening. That's really interesting. That goes against every fiber of my body, but I I understand why that works and can be really effective. Yeah. Now, why do some kids have trouble waking in the morning, i.e. a lot of little babies and little kids have meltdowns and they cry? It's kind of like the opposite to a night terror because in the morning they're like just literally rolling on the or ground. Or after a nap, like yeah. they take a really long time to recover Are after they awake? Well, sometimes they are and they're just really, um, sometimes they've woken up a bit earlier than they really want to wake up or should wake up, so they're still a bit cranky and sleep deprived. Sometimes they're, particularly toddlers, I think if you you can get some food into them or drink, they settle really quickly. So maybe they're just a bit low in their blood sugar or just a bit cranky, give them something to eat and they're usually happier. But also we get the issue of, you know, children who just wake up really early before 6am and want to start the day at Mm. 5 or 5.30am. And then instead it's me tantruming for for 30 minutes. (laughs) This is what happens to me every morning lately. Yumi's in my bed and she wakes up at about, I reckon, 10 to 5 and she'll go. 10 to 5. Yeah, wait for it. She goes, mum, mum, like in my ear hole, mum. Yes. And I'm like, mm. And she's like, I want a milky. And I'm like, babe, until the sun's up, I'm not getting you a milky. Good. And, Good. Th- and then she- I'll end up getting her one. And I ask her in the morning. <laughs> ah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. But in the morning I say, why didn't you get dad? Yep. Like, why don't you ask dad? Yes. No, dad's asleep. I'm like, yes. I was smart. asleep. So you need to read Slug Dad and Monster Mum. Writing it what down. What happens if you That sounds books. like you Slug Dad and Monster Mum. <laughs> That is me and my husband. Yep. So read that book to her and the whole rationale behind that is if you get up too early and you wake up mum and dad, they'll turn into slug dad and monster mum and they're not going to be fun to play with and have around. So maybe you just need to stay in bed that little bit longer until the, you know, the sun comes up. And get the fuck out of mummy's bed. I mean... The music comes on the clock radio, whatever it might be, because that's another technique we have that you put a clock radio outside the bedroom Mm. and you set it, for example, to 6 a.m. And you say you can't come out till you hear the music. Genius. And then, again, you reward with a sticker or a stamp straight away. You know, good girl, you didn't come out till the radio came on. And then after four stickers or stamps, lucky dip. And then what do you slowly set back when the music goes off? You can, but there will be a limit. Until 10 (laughs) a.m. We have brunch. (laughs) And you still just get one sticker. Slipped into 10 a.m. Oh, how funny. That's hilarious. What about trouble staying awake during the day? Like what's it? We actually spoke with someone last week about when's right to start school. And I was saying, I honestly, one of the things that's kind of forcing our hand in sending my daughter late is that she will still nap like once or twice a week is that when when is it kind of like oh this might not be normal to still nap well I think that's normal at least up to five years of age and certainly often schools are really good at managing that they have quiet times anyway you know where they pull out blankets some kids go to sleep some kids rest they often start the first term with, you know, Wednesdays off or mm. half days. So so our schools are on to that. And it's certainly very normal up to the age of five. You know, most kids have dropped their daytime sleep by then, but some still have a nap every now and again. And which is great because that's just saying, I'm really tired. Of, you know, a lot's been going on. Oh, I didn't sleep as well last night. I need a little bit of extra sleep. As long as it's not interfering with getting to sleep at night. Mm. That's fine. And if a child is over the age of five and is napping, you know. Or just like falling ne- asleep. Yeah, falling places. asleep before. Yeah. Is that a, a sign that you should probably check out that there yes. could be something else going on? Yeah, you need to make sure. That's, you know, see your health professional. You know, are their iron levels okay? Mm. Have they been snoring overnight and having sleep apnea? Because we often think about sleep apnea in adults, but it happens to children. Mm. And actually peaks in that sort of four to six age group because the tonsils are quite big in our bodies because they're fighting off infections usually, but the airways are quite small. So if children just snore when they get a cold, but they're fine in between, don't worry. But if they're snoring every night or particularly if they're snoring and then having periods of breathing and then (gasps) gasping, that's sleep apnea and that that needs, you know, to be treated. So snoring when well is not 
normal. Exactly. If yeah. they're snoring when they've got a cold, that's really common. And if it, you know, goes when the cold goes, that's that's reassuring. But if they're snoring, particularly if they're stopping breathing and, you know, having that gasping, they definitely need to be seen. Is it more common in boys? Because I feel like you're constantly hearing about little boys getting their adenoids and tonsils removed. Yeah, no, but I feel like, is that no, not the case? No, 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 it's the same in boys and girls. Yeah. Mia go. got hers out. Oh, really? Yeah. In uh, Literally just before she started primary school, she, she, kept on having like a runny nose and having phlegm in her mouth and the only way how about this the only way that we noticed that there was a problem with her hearing was that she would go into the bathroom because of the acoustics and listen to her iPad because that's where she could hear it so smart and so then we took her to a ear nose and throat specialist and they literally did a test and they said this girl is nearly almost classified as deaf to the point that she can hear like someone under water and we honestly I cried I like couldn't believe it that she was just trooping along for probably a year with that much anyway she had her adenoids tonsils all of that removed and no phlegm like unless she has a cold but she actually put her hands over her ears when she woke up because it was too loud. It was so loud. And then the hairdryer, she'd be like, Mom, turn it yes. down. And it took a while, but she got there. Oh so I had no idea. I just had no idea. It's a really yeah, interesting. I think that's the importance of going and getting, you know, if you're worried, getting the hearing formally tested yeah. by an audiologist and getting that sorted. And what's the point of your tonsils and adenoids? Like if you get them taken out, is that do you get sick more or sick less? Or? No, I mean, they're really good first-line defence to fight off viruses and bacteria. So actually they're, they're, they're good things to have. It's really only a problem if they are associated with that snoring and sleep apnea or maybe in severe cases with, you know, the hearing that you were describing, Mm, which is pretty full on. Most of the time we don't need them taken out because as we grow up, they shrink anyway. You know, our throat gets bigger and that that risk of snoring, et cetera, goes away. And what are some signs that things are like behavioural sleep issues rather than like a medical thing that should be looked into more? Well, the biggest sort of sign is what's going on at the start of the night. So if your kid goes to sleep easily when you're there holding their hand, patting them, (laughs) hugging them, but as soon as you leave the door, they go, oh, don't you leave. Then you come back in and they go, oh, they're happy again. No, that's that's medical. That's medical. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so that's that's a bit of your clue. Or if they're really good for dad but not good for mum. Behavioural. That's behavioural. Yeah. Yeah. Slug dad. (laughs) Now, we've mentioned a few times throughout this episode that there has been a few books and thanks to yourself and Murdoch Children's Research Institute, you guys have created a range of six children's storybooks that have been released this month, if I'm correct. Yes. And it is all about how to teach children to go to sleep, to stay asleep all night and wake at a reasonable hour. Now, I honestly, we I think we can hear every parent applauding right now all around the world. Can you share a little bit more about these books and where we can get our hands on them? Yeah, so you head to our website, sleepwithkip.com, and there we've got, as you say, the six books. But we've also got a sleep quiz that parents can do. It takes about 90 seconds. Fill out, you know, some information about their kids' sleep, which will then match you to the books that might help if you're having sleep problems. We've got sleep podcasts there that parents can listen to and that goes from baby sleep through to teenager sleep as well. And then we've got a whole lot of sleep strategies they can download as PDFs. And then we've got audio books. So all of the six books have been read by some fabulous actors with a soundtrack to them. So if you don't want to sit there and read the book to your kids, you can listen to them as audio books. And they really are there for not just children with sleep issues, but, you know, to really get kids off to a good start with sleeping and motivate them to want to sleep well and help them own their sleep rather than outsourcing it to their parents. And I think a lot of people worry when they're implementing changes with sleep that it's going to be traumatic, like whether that be for the Mm. parent or for the child. Like is the approach quite gentle or like should we strap ourselves in for a few nights where someone's screaming the house down like what's the approach very much the approach is what suits you as a family and the child so there's different options there I I think we never want kids screaming the house down but there might be when we talked about the curtain calls of coming in and out you know the bedtime pass you come out once so setting some limits but they're really written from the psychology of a kid's point of view 
So one's called pick your own nose. Do you really need mum to pick your nose, wipe your bum, eat your ice cream? No. Well, why do you need her to put you to bed? And so by the end of the story, the kid goes, actually, Kip, and Kip's a little pillowcase who's our little, you know, mascot, therapist, (laughs) mascot. Actually, Kip, I can do this by myself. So we're really trying to empower our kids. And that's why it's aimed at that three to eight-year-old group because they are wanting to be, you know, test the boundaries, develop their own sort of skills of doing things. So hopefully it's a smoother journey and not having, you know, yeah, your toddler screaming the house down for three nights in a row. And what are the other books about? The Slug Dad and Monster Mum is the early morning waking one. The Marshmallow Puffins at the Window is about anxiety. You know, kids are worried about sounds and things at night. The Bedtime Pass we've talked about for those ones. Uh, We've got a lovely, beautiful one on the beach, which is a visual imagery and relaxation one for Mm. children who lie there worrying about things at the start of the night. And then we've also got another one called Has Dad Joined the Circus? And that's the camping out technique where you put a camp bed or a chair next to your toddler's cot or your child's bed. And over, you know, seven to 10 nights, you gradually move yourself away from their bed. So that's a much gentler technique. And that's saying to the kid, you know, mum and dad are still in the house. They haven't gone off and joined the circus. They haven't gone to Paris and they're eating croissants somewhere. They're actually still around. They'd love so to. So you're safe, you're sound, you're okay. <laughs> but they can't because you're here. <laughs> what they would freaking give. So please just go to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's there's six different books, six different strategies, and, and doing that sleep quiz can help parents work out which one. Oh, oh they sound so absolutely good. Fabulous. And I think it's just nice for parents to hear that, you know, there's such an emphasis on like when your child should be sleeping through the night or, you know, and it's just, it's so common for kids of so many ages to be waking and unfortunately it's a part of parenthood. But it's a nice reminder this episode that if you are struggling or you are finding, you know, the sleep system is not working for you, perhaps, you know, trying these tips could actually make everyone a whole lot happier. So Yeah, and get your toddler on side. You know, I think that's a really key thing because if they just say, nope, I'm not going to change, it's not going to work. And hopefully these books can help them, you know, feel a bit more empowered to do it and excited about doing it. Well, I'm definitely going to get three passes out and I'm going to start yep. tonight and they're going to, yeah, we're going to get onto that. So I'll let you know you how that goes. You spend the afternoon decorating. You yes. Get no, they can do it themselves. Set. It's the last day of school holidays, so they can do it themselves. And set up the rules. You allow one pass out and then what will be the reward in the morning, a stamp and a sticker? four stickers in a row, lucky dip, or for primary school kids who are a bit over stamps and stickers, we do a raffle ticket and they cash that raffle ticket in at the end of the week. So that raffle ticket's like 20 cents, 50 cents. Don't make it $5. No. Keep it small and they cash it in at the end of the week and they can spend that any way they want to. I did this once with my children, the bigger ones, and I made a thing I sort of didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was sort of like, <laughs> and you'll get something at the end. And I would, they they were really good for the whole week. Like they'd bring their school bag in and they'd do their homework. And then at the end, I would rip up a little bit of paper and I would pretend that I've written things in there. Anyway, I'd pull the, pull one out and it would be like, oh, you've got time with mum this weekend. You guys are so lucky. But they were stoked just to have anything. So I think, you know, I'm thinking, oh, they're not, (laughs) (laughs) mummy works too hard. (laughs) No, but you know, some kids you think, oh, they're not going to be interested in the sticker reward system or 50 cents. Yes, they are because it's about also us as parents and them as children interacting and doing something as a team. And I think that overall is extremely important. Yeah, time with you is actually something that they all love and crave. Everyone does. And don't underestimate it. I have too much. So if someone can give me a raffle ticket that means I can have a day (laughs) away from her, that'd be great. (laughs) I'll sleep all night, I promise. (laughs) Oh, Harriet, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. It's been an absolute joy. Yeah, and I can't wait to get my hands on some of those books and get some more Zs overnight, that's for sure. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.